0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of OC Talks, the podcast series from Oncology Central. I'm Jade Parker, Senior Editor of Oncology Central. Today I'm joined by Heather Beasley, who is a postdoctoral scholar at Vanderbilt University. Heather's research focuses on calcium signaling in breast cancer, as well as the dysregulation of bone metabolism due to comorbidities such as hypercalcemia. Thank you for joining us Heather, it's great to have you with us. To kick us off, could you provide a brief overview of your career to date for our listeners?
1: Sure. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you all. Um, this is a really exciting time. So my just career trajectory is a little odd. I actually started off at Auburn University in animal sciences. I wanted to be a vet at that point in time, and so I was pre vet and really trying to figure out what was happening. And right after undergrad, I really was trying to see what the next step was for me. And so I worked in an animal clinic for a couple of years, and it wasn't so much taking care of the really cute dogs and the really cute. Cats that I loved but I really enjoyed looking in the microscope and that's really where my love for science really began um so we would have to of course as you take your dog to the clinic they do have to check for parasites and so I look under the microscope and I was like oh my goodness y'all I found a hookworm or I did this urine analysis and I found this really cool crystal and it was really odd to the vet and the vet was like um Heather I think you might want to do like a science degree like beyond this point I'm like but I love to be, you know, I want to be a vet. I want to go to vet school. And she was like, I think you're better served. Your calling is actually in discovery. <laughs> and I that was the best advice I ever got. And so from there, I went on to um, earn a master's degree in biology, where I really fell in love with physiology and all of that. It entails, did a brief fellowship at UCLA where we looked at evolutionary medicine. And that's when I started um, grad school and for my Ph.D. in biomedical sciences. Well, during my Ph.D., I joined the Department of Biochemistry and cancer biology, um, where I was really fell in love with signaling within breast cancer. So the lab that I joined of Dr. Amos Sokwe, we really were understanding why do breast cancer cells really establish residency in other places such as bone? It's really hard, it's rigid. What is it with that and why does that happen? And so I did some training there, obviously, for five years for my PhD. And now currently in my career, I'm a postdoc at Vanderbilt, as she mentioned, um, where I'm continuing on some of those studies, of course, in calcium signaling and breast cancer, as well as really understanding how we can look at organelles within the body organelles being mitochondria endoplasmic reticulum all the things you learned back in school where you had to model them we're really looking at those in 3d because it gives us a better understanding as to how the cells of cancer cells function under different um, disease states uh, mm-hmm. so this has been a really fun opportunity for me but that's my career
0: training thus far lovely it's actually quite funny we've um we've had a similar starting so I wanted to be a vet as well and I did um, bio veterinary science as my bachelor's degree and then yeah I've taken the course like into journalism sort of um and in oncology so yeah we've gone down I knew we were supposed to meet and have this conversation <laughs> I love that very similar sort of starting point yeah. and then it both into oncology but yeah See? lovely that um, there we go <laughs> that yeah. yeah it's not usual but look
1: we both found our place that really benefits us and helps us to have a wonderful day in what we do yeah. so that works
0: and yeah. it's a love of science at the exactly. base of it isn't it and what you it is. do with that and how to kind of progress 100 um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love um, it So, yeah, thank you for giving us your overview of um, where you've got to in your career now. So in terms of calcium sort of um, and bone metabolism that you're mentioning, what role does calcium signalling play specifically in breast cancer?
1: Oh, yeah. So this is super exciting. Anyone that talks for more than five minutes is going to hear calcium somewhere in there. Right. It is the most amazing element because what calcium does is you it's in every part of our body. Right. We need calcium for our brain to function. We need calcium for our heart to pump. Um, The only thing that I want to emphasize is that we found during some of the studies in my grad school education that calcium actually Um, is an important second messenger to allow cancer cells to proliferate more and to thrive better in high calcium environments. Why that matters is that, of course, breast cancer cells have the propensity to move. They like to migrate. They like to go out of where they originated and move to other places in the body. So our part of understanding was looking at how calcium predisposes these cancer cells to really have a preferred region, such as the bone, as they move and establish their residency. And so it's really interesting because what do you do with that information? You can't stop calcium, then your heart will stop, unfortunately. But we're looking for different ways, different pharmacological interventions and therapeutics that can really help patients that might actually develop this hypercalcemia. Because unfortunately, the statistic is very stark. Patients that have late-stage breast cancer do often develop hypercalcemia, and it can be up to 50% of them die within 30 days. And that is a very stark, very alarming statistic. It came on the New England Journal of Medicine. And so we're really trying to look at that by looking at the calcium sensing receptor, which is super super awesome because it's all over the body and this particular receptor can sense calcium and it can either stop things that are happening or actually upregulate things that happen and you can read more about this and we can always talk but that's Mm -hmm. a brief overview calcium actually can drive cancer cells to thrive Mm -hmm. and proliferate and to grow Mm -hmm. and metastasize and become more invasive and that's what you don't want in a cancer cell so that's really what we looked at and it's really exciting i love it and i'm using some of that information to inform some of the work i do in my postdoc as well
0: Lovely. And then in terms of the progress that's been made, so um yeah, what sort of progress has been made in identifying calcium channels and transporters as potential therapeutic targets for breast cancer?
1: Oh, yeah, that is a hot topic. It's and it's not new, right? So the particular receptor that I started with was actually cloned back in the 1990s, right? So this is not a new phenomenon of understanding how these channels and pumps and players of calcium signaling play a role in cancer progression. What is new and what's novel, what people are finding out is that calcium is not only going through these channels and coming in through channels and pores and things of that nature, but calcium as a second messenger is. Turning on a lot of signaling pathways that also promote cancer. For instance, you have transcription factors, which are these big proteins that bind to our DNA and tell it and drive it forward. Mm-hmm. And calcium actually regulates quite a bit of those. And so really understanding how calcium plays a role in driving proteins and kinases, which are other enzymes that drive cancer progression, thinking about all of those, that's really where the field is progressing. And we're looking at it also by looking at how calcium is within organelles. So we have within our cells, little, um, I guess you could say little Power Rangers that are doing different functions. Mm -hmm. I study the mitochondria, which are really providing energy for the cell and calcium is stored there. So we're looking at calcium in that sense to see how it's talking to other organelles. So how does this Power Ranger, the pink one, talk to the green one? And how are they making things happen to give our cell energy and to do other processes, especially during cancer? Mm -hmm. So all of that comes together to really do a lot of things. And calcium signaling, I mean, honestly, it's everywhere. (laughs) And it's a brick open book. We've made a lot of progress, but there's still more to come. So right now, the hot areas are, of course, obviously going to be these channels, these pores, but also some of the underexplored ways that calcium works as far as turning on other things that might drive cancer progression.
0: Okay. And then kind of, so... Another area that you've been doing um, in your research is you've co-authored a paper on intentional mentoring. So can you tell us a bit about intentional mentoring and what tactics you'd advise mentors to really get the most out of their mentoring experience, probably both for themselves and for their mentee, obviously?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I love that you asked that. So intentional mentoring was a paper that um, our lab published last year, um, And what that paper did was it really helped us to identify all of the mentoring styles of all the co-authors. So everyone has different mentoring styles. Maybe you're a motivational mentor, maybe you are an intentional mentor, maybe you're a holistic mentor where you look at different parts and you really are trying to make sure that your mentee has the best skill set. I am personally a motivational mentor. You probably hear it in my enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Everything is enthusiastic. <laughs> it could be the coffee. And I'm like, wow, Starbucks, that was the best coffee of the day, right? <laughs> but that is just the way that I deliver information. And so I really want to motivate my students in different ways. I'm very candid with my students and our trainees in our lab, which is, listen, I had some difficult times as far as undergrad coursework and not making the grades that make me competitive for grad school, which is why I took a couple of years off and worked in the animal clinic. You don't have to do that. Let me stop you. Let me intervene here as a sophomore and say, listen, let's make sure you're not making any more C's. Let's get B's and A's, right? So, <laughs> (laughs) I motivate them with some of my own experiences. And so that paper really defines how to be an intentional mentor, but it also has a strong focus on underrepresented minorities in STEM. Mm -hmm as a Black scientist, I really have to make sure that I'm uplifting everyone. And diversity goes far beyond our ancestry and our race. It could be neurodiversity. It can really be diversity of thought, right? How we think about things. And so my main goal for my mentees is to use that intentional mentoring to really be motivational for them, but to motivate them in ways to where they want to succeed on their own and have the tools to do it. So.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, your enthusiasm, you can feel it. And I can imagine that your students <laughs> and your mentees are all sort of pumped up from your oh yeah, yeah. and it's then lovely. sometimes you're
1: like it's it's you know it's six o'clock Heather we need to come down I'm like okay okay I will I will come down to your level no problem <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's fantastic that sort of energy is what you need to you know invigorate and it pushes people forward and gives them that sort of you know passion for what they're doing in their careers so it's lovely yes thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of you touched on it there about underrepresented um sort of cohorts in that group so how can intentional mentoring improve retention rates of underrepresented mentees within stem
1: yeah that is an excellent point so what i do right now is I have really um, enhanced my presence on social media. I think social media is a way to really reach targeted audiences that really may be underrepresented in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And one way that I reach underrepresented minorities is really trying to motivate them through seeing what they what they may not have envisioned, where they may not have envisioned mm-hmm. themselves. So I am a big believer of representation matters. If you don't know that that career exists or that um, expertise exists how do you see yourself in that position and I think a lot of times um, I'm speaking from personal experiences there were two things that you're taught you know in grade school which is oh if you're really smart be a doctor or a lawyer Mm -hmm. but what does being a doctor mean I have a doctorate too but it's not to treat patients right and so really exposing the world, the masses to what a scientific career is about. And I tell people all the time, it's not about being the smartest person in the class. I was never the smartest in the class. I was the most diligent. I worked really, really hard. And when someone tells me no, I'm like, okay, that door closed, but I'm sure there's a window somewhere, right? <laughs> so that representation is how I really kind of hope underrepresented minorities in STEM. And they don't have to be scientists. They could be a tech genius. They can be an engineering and do mathematics. And even we add an extra M there for medicine, right? But we still, as those that are underrepresented, we still make up a very small percentage of these careers. And so making sure that they see my day-to-day tasks, seeing what I do, and really see some of my shortcomings, right? Because I'm not this person that has it all together. You know, I'm a mom, I don't have it all together, (laughs) but I work diligently to make sure that I at least have something where they can look up to that I can inspire them in some way. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. Yeah, it's that thing of, even for sort of the next generation isn't it so yeah you see see somebody like you in a role then your, your eyes are open to it and you see it as more Attainable and you know exactly
1: because it it just exposes you right you can you see that then you're like wow that's an accessible career same thing with being a scientist when you're in grad school and getting your Ph.D. you really only see two tracks you either go through academia become this professor or you go to industry and they kind of like oh and go to industry like Mm -hmm. that's a some subpar job right not necessarily there's different ways where you can be impactful and influence influential Mm -hmm. in your career and I think. My exposure to all of these careers really opened the door even more. was like, wow, I can do that too. Like, this PhD wasn't just so I can, you know, count my cells all day and do experiments and sometimes don't turn into anything. It's really about discovering and really other people can use that to their benefit as well. So,
0: would you like to see the field evolve over the next five years? So, both in terms of your um, biology research, in terms of the calcium signaling, and then also in terms of inspiring underrepresented. Um, Yeah. Wow, that is a really interesting question. So in the next
1: five years, I would love to see an increase in the number of students that go into these STEM fields. And it's and it's a lot of reason being that we need so many more people to really help move the field forward. I think the field has been infiltrated by a lot of people that think the same way. And having diversity of thought is so important in a lot of ways. For instance, you and I, we're diverse in thought because we both were going to be vets. Like, Who would have thought that these two <laughs> nerds, they wanted to be vets, somehow went into this field of cancer? right mm-hmm. and so that's what we need we need more people with different ways of thinking people that are from marginalized background people that are disenfranchised people that aren't your typical student that you see in a stock picture mm-hmm. on google right we need different people different looking people people that think differently that use different parts of their brains and we need that important that's important for stem i hope in the next five years that i don't make up say two percent of those with that are black with a phd maybe mm-hmm. we do that four percent, I'll take four percent, right? So, though that's one thing I see as far as minorities and and STEM, but I also see the field of calcium signaling really moving the bar forward of really investigating how we can target specific things. As, as cancer progresses, for instance, as I mentioned with this whole calcium signaling, you can't stop calcium signaling, but we do have drugs that are FDA approved that actually stop calcium reabsorption. So these bisphosphonates, we know that these drugs exist, but I want to publish more high impact papers so that we can have more clinicians really tap into this basic science that I do, right? What is it that I can, you know, what kind of test can industry or these clinical fields look at? at for patients to kind of gauge how calcium is progressing, because we know that calcium is going to help the cells thrive. But if we can mitigate that in some way, then that leads to overall better um, survival for the patient, overall better feeling for the patient, because just because the patient's on treatment, that's great. But these patients really have poor response. And they also really are painful sometimes, depending on what treatments and therapeutics the patients are on. So really finding ways to where we can kind of eliminate some of these chemotherapeutics that aren't as helpful or, or efficacious as we would expect. So I hope, that I can publish a really nice paper to where clinicians buy in, right? And they're like, wait a minute, Beasley et al showed this paper. I need to start testing my patients for this genotyping them. And I can say, wow, look at this. You know, that's in my mind, of course, in the next five years, but it can happen. We just need, that's the whole thing with these peer reviewed publications. It's just exposure, right? The more people read it, the more they understand how it can benefit them in the clinical setting, but also it can benefit us as as basic scientists us to really understand what this information means and how it can apply to our research.
0: Thank you. Did you
1: have anything else that you wanted to add? I I mean, I I hope that when this is shared, um, everyone can reach out via social media. I connect with a lot of people there, especially cancer advocates. I have a huge following of cancer advocates that I communicate with on a weekly basis. At conversations with them. And because this is um, February, it is Black History Month, as well as being Cancer Prevention Month. So I'll be posting all month on social media about different ways to prevent different cancers and really bringing on a lot of guest hosts onto my Instagram live so we can talk about that across different um, cancer. So Is not just breast cancer.
0: Lovely. We'll be retweeting and resharing from Oncology. Thank you. <laughs> <That was great. laughs> look forward to seeing it all. Uh, well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Heather. It's been really insightful to hear about both the biology of breast cancer and also how we can improve mentoring for all parties involved. Thank you also to our listeners. And if you would like to hear any more podcasts like this, please head to oncologycentral.com.